at chapter 14. Stand for the reading of God's word. Stand for the reading of God's word. Hosea 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take with you words and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all, all our iniquity, accept what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Assyria shall not save us. We will not ride on horses. We will, not, we will say no more. Our God to the work of our hands. In you the orphan finds mercy. I will hear their apostasy. I will love them freely. For my anger has turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. He shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. He shall, they shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. They, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. O Ephraim, what have I to do with your idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now asking that you would meet us yet again. We have praised your name. We have confessed our sins. We have been reminded of the forgiveness we have in Christ. We have given our, our tithes and our offerings to your glory. And yet, God, you tell us to bring all our requests before you, so we do so now. Lord, we pray for those in our midst who are struggling this morning. God, I pray specifically those who are dealing with fear, anxiety, and doubt. I pray, God, that you would meet them according to your great grace that you would use this message to remind them of your great love for them, how you care for them, and how you will be with them in all their needs. We pray for Patsy Quinton this morning, Lord, as she grieves the loss of her sister. We pray, God, that you in your kindness, that you would just meet her abundantly in your mercy. Father, I do pray now for our, our leadership of this church. I pray specifically for our deacons. I thank you so much for their godly character and their love for you in this church. God, I pray that you would use them to, to strengthen and edify and serve this congregation, that they would become a holy reflection of your character. Dear God, we do pray for our nation. Father, uh, we pray, Lord God, that you would heal our, our nation. We pray specifically for local city councils, God. And God, we pray that you would allow them to make wise decisions. We pray for the, the city council of Rock Hill, Lord, that you would give them wisdom in terms of how to govern well under your righteous rule. Uh, dear God, we also just pray for the gospel to go forth in our community. We pray for Scott Davis and Northside Baptist Church this morning. We are so grateful for the, the ministry and the partnership we have with, with Northside. We pray, God, that you would use uh, Pastor Scott as he preaches your word to edify and strengthen those uh, that congregation to be formed more into your likeness. We ask now, God, as we turn to the word ourselves, that you would just quiet our hearts and that you would speak through me to the hearts of your people. What a great Gift it is, God, that you allow your servants, your ambassadors, to preach your word. God, I pray that you would guard my tongue, that you would allow only that which is pleasing to your name to, to, to leave my lips. And I pray, God, as I announce the word, that you would speak through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that the words that I speak, God, would be taken and applied by the Spirit to the hearts of everyone here. God, you know everyone's issues this morning. You know everyone's anxieties, everyone's fears, everyone's joys and pains. So, dear God, I pray that you would meet everyone specifically and uniquely according to your great grace. 
And do, God, we pray that you would help us understand more of your love. God, that you would help us understand our sin. That the Holy Spirit, you would convict us and our eyes would be open. And yet, God, that you would remind us of the great love that you have shown us in Christ. That while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. So, Father, we pray that you would use this hour, use this time, for the glory of your name and for the building up of your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I love chocolate. I love ice cream. I love all food. Like, literally, I love all food. I love the Chicago Cubs. I love this church. I mean, how often do we use the word love in our culture? I think it's a tad overused, and I think that our culture doesn't really have a respect for words anymore. We do not use them well, and we often do not use them appropriately. Words have lost their meaning. What is love? Truly, what is love defined by God's word? What kind of love does God show us? What kind of love does God require of us? I remember being in Venezuela as a, as a missionary at 20 years old and debating with one of my colleagues about, about uh, what love is. And I, I, I debated that the friends that I had growing up, one of my parents, the parents of one of my friends, that I said their love for each other is a picture of God's love. These folks were both unbelievers, uh, didn't live for the Lord. Uh, well, after that debate, the next morning I woke up, had my quiet time, and it was 1 John 4, 7 and 8, verses Bobby read earlier. Beloved, love us, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. The Lord showed me that it is impossible to truly love the way God requires us without being born again. What I witnessed in my friend's parents was a glimpse of the love that God has shown us. But it was not full biblical love. True biblical love, it can only happen when we have been born of God, for true biblical love is supernatural. It is not natural for what we experience uh, biblical love is far beyond our natural ability. So we need God's supernatural help to love as he loves. True biblical love is rooted and established in the character of God himself. As we have read, God is love. Hosea, this wonderful book, shines a spotlight on this love. God's amazing, undeserved love. Hosea was a prophet of the late 8th century. As we begin our study of the, of the minor prophets, just a re reminder that they're not minor because of their importance, but they're minor in their length. Uh, Hosea is one of the longer minor prophets. Hosea and Zechariah both cover 14 chapters. And of all the minor prophets, only three address Israel. Most of them are written towards Judah. Uh, he warned the Israelites of the coming destruction of the Assyrians. So around 722 B.C., the Assyrians took over Israel. And right before that, Hosea is giving a clarion call to repent and return to the Lord. Hosea can be broken roughly into, into two sections. If you're taking notes, the first three chapters are the personal life of Hosea. The second half is words of judgment with little sprinklings of hope. So 
before we begin looking at this, these judgment and these coming promises of hope, the, begin, the book begins with a love story. Uh, the love story that is quite unexpected. The first point, true love is supernatural. True love is supernatural. Uh, we begin in Hosea chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Hosea. As I've already said, it's supernaturally God spoke to Hosea. Never allow the fact that God speaks to sinners to be taken for granted. Listen to what the word of the Lord said to Hosea. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. He told him what to do. It's a supernatural communication and a supernatural word and the supernatural love that God gives Hosea only makes sense if it's supernatural. Because human love would not follow a request like this. Hosea is told just as it reads. He was told to take a prostitute as his wife. He is told to love a woman who will repeatedly give herself to other men. Why? Why would God ask one of his servants to do this? Well, God wanted Hosea to model his love for an adulterous people. The purpose is right there in, in verse 2. Look at that 4. It says, For the land, Israel, commits whoredom by forsaking the Lord. The nation of Israel was, was God's spoke, chosen and treasured possession. But instead of following God, they chose to, to run after the idols of the day. They were committing spiritual adultery. They were not giving them exclusively to the worship of God, but they were giving themselves to other gods. The root sin of the Old Testament is idolatry. Idolatry is loving something or someone more than God. So the relationship between God and his people is so intimate, it is so personal, that God views worshiping other gods as an act of adultery. God is married to his people. God is our husband and we are his bride. And that imagery is, is contained throughout the scriptures. It's a thread that is kind of woven throughout the Old and New Testament. There's a tremendous amount of intimacy that God expects with his people. This covenant and betrothal language is, is seeped with intimacy. So we are called to have with God. One of the reasons why you're called every day to wake up and spend time with God is because God desires intimacy with you. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1. On that day, the Lord says, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy, for I will have no more, I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all, but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow, or by sword, or by war, or by horses, or by horsemen. When they had weaned No Mercy, when she had weaned No Mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people, 
for I am not, and I am not your God. That sounds like a very harsh judgment. And it is. Because true biblical love, second point, is a righteous love. True love is righteous. True love is righteous. God's love is righteous, meaning that he loves that which is good and right and perfect. We may say that we love, but if we do not love that which is righteous, that which is good, we do not love God. And I, I just make a, a pause here. Be very careful how you handle yourself in the days ahead in our country. Do not advocate or encourage things that God hates. God loves that which is righteous. So one of the reasons why God gives this command to parents in Proverbs 13, 24, to, to establish love in our children by disciplining our children for righteousness. God's word says in Proverbs 13, 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Discipline is an act of love. So if we refuse to discipline, God says we hate our children. So if we refuse to correct people in our lives when they enter activities, lifestyles, and behaviors that are harmful and against God's word, we are not showing true biblical love. Biblical love is always connected to righteousness and truth. Therefore, God is demonstrating his love here in Hosea to the, to the people of Israel and sending them discipline in the form of the Assyrian army that is because they have strayed from their first love. Skip over to chapter 5 of Hosea. Chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Hear this, O priest. Pay attention, O house of Israel. Give ear, O house of the king, for the judgment is for you. For you have been a snare at Mizpah, and a net spread upon Tabor. And the revolters have gone deep into slaughter, but I will discipline all of them. The Lord promises discipline as an act of his love. They did not acknowledge God as the giver of good gifts. 2, chapter 2, 8 through 10. Chapter 4, we see the outline of, of the major sins of Hosea. Hosea chapter 4. Look at chapter 4. Some of these verses will be on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. If you look at those three things, or those four things, those are the breaking of the commandments that God has established in Exodus 20. Therefore the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish. All the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, even the fish of the sea are taken away. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you for being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten that the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. And I will change their glory into shame. My people inquire of a piece of wood, and a walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore. They sacrifice on the tops of mountains, burnt offerings on the hills under oak, poplar, and terebinth, because their shade is good. Because of the sin of the people, Hosea 9.1, Rejoice not, O Israel. Exalt not like the peoples, for you have played the whore. Forsaking your God. 
One of the reasons why we don't read the Old Testament is because of verses like this. The harsh, blunt language. Makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Saying those kind of language. But you know what God is doing here? He's calling sin for what it really is. He wants you to see the ugliness of sin. It's forsaking God. It's chasing after other lovers. They're not politically correct words, but one of the reasons why people engage in sinful behavior is because we live in a society that does not use biblical words to define sin. Sin is disgusting, heinous, horrible, evil. God hates sin. It's disgusting in His sight. We are trained in our day that it's, it's judgmental and hypocritical and wrong to call sin, sin. But beloved, biblical love is righteous. The reason why God commands us to live for his glory righteously is so that we would be a reflection to the world of that love. Do you love like God loves? Do you hate what is evil and love which is good? Do you love what is righteous? Do you, is your life characterized by righteousness? Do you love God or do you love the world? You ever walk into someone's house, a dirty house full of clutter and dust and really just filth, and you ever say, how in the world do you live like this? Well, the thing is, is they, they live in that clutter and dust and filth so long, they just become used to it. They don't even see it anymore. If you live in filth long enough, you stop seeing the filth. I wonder if someone walked into the house of your life, would they ask the same question? How can you live like this? Is your life cluttered? with worldly filth and ungodly clutter. God takes sin so seriously, beloved, that if it is not dealt with, we will experience a far greater punishment in the future. Much more than a national takeover that Israel was being subjected to by the Assyrians. God will punish sin in an eternal hell, whether it be weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die, the fire is never quenched. Now, even bringing up the idea of hell makes people uncomfortable. We all question why do we even have to bring this up, talk of, of hell. Have you ever asked why people question hell so much? They question hell's existence. Why do we doubt it? Why has it been neglected in pulpits and neglected in conversations among Christians? I believe that we question hell. So if I mention hell and the first thought in you is, oh no, why is he going here? I'm starting to feel uncomfortable. If that's you, I believe the reason why we have that, that feeling rising up in us is because we don't understand how vile, ugly, heinous our sin is to God. As we minimize the true vileness and filth of our sin, we lose 
the reality of what that sin deserves. As we minimize that sin, we realize we start to coddle it. Stop for a moment and just think of your sins. Are there any sins that you have explained away as not being that bad? Have you coddled any sins, allowed them to, to grow in your heart? Are there any secret sins in your life that you just can't break free of? Beloved, God's righteous demands demand him to love what is good and to hate what is evil. That is why hell exists. But true love is not only righteous, it's also forgiving. Third point, true love is forgiving. We pick this story back up in chapter 3, this love story between Hosea and Gomer. Uh, Gomer did not deserve Hosea's love, and yet God tells him to go to her again. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I brought bought her 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a leth of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. God commands Hosea to go again and love a woman, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Hosea is called to model to Gomer God's love for the children of Israel. God wants to forgive. God wants to restore the people of Israel from their filth. God's forgiveness always begins with Him. Him extending His hand to us. Gomer is in the arms of another man, living as an adulterous woman. It is while she is still in her sin that God pursues her by telling Hosea to go to her. And going to a sinful wife, God is using Hosea to model the love that he has for his people. We love God because he first loved us while we were still in our sin. He takes the initiative to rescue and to redeem us so that we will no longer be in the pit of sin. He wants to rescue us out of that pit. So this is, if you, if you minimize hell, and the consequence of our sin, you minimize the great love of God has for you. God loves you, even in the midst of your sin. Gomer received love she didn't deserve by her loving husband. Hosea made a promise to love her forever. If you read this strange love story, you may start feeling bad for Hosea. You may understand his plight, and it's very hard to, to love sinners. But we are not like Hosea. We are Gomer. We are sinners in need of forgiveness. We are rebels in need of restoration. Pastor Mark Dever writes this, Regardless of all the ways you may compare your righteousness with someone else, when you compare yourself with God... And what he has called you to be, it should be clear that you are Gomer. You and I, hear this, you and I are the unfaithful objects of God's ever-faithful 
love. Only when we understand this do we begin to understand what love is. We are all gomers. We have been unfaithful to our husband, the Lord God Almighty. We must always hold those two core truths together, that we are far more sinful than we could possibly imagine, and we are far more loved than we'd ever dare dream. Hosea loved Gomer. Hosea pursued Gomer while she was in her sin. God loves us and God pursues us while we are in, in our sin. That is why that song that we just sang was so beautiful. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't give an answer. The love that God has for you should silence you because you don't deserve it. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. In the face of our great need, we need to understand that God is a forgiving God who always offers hope. Last point. True love is hopeful. True love is hopeful. God's judgments, his warnings are always mixed with hope. His love always gives hope. So at the end of chapter 1 of Hosea, God tells Hosea to name his children. Not mercy and uh, no mercy and not my people. And then we see this promise at the end of chapter 1. Go to chapter 1, verse 10. It says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. For in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, It shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and they shall appoint for themselves one head. They shall go up from the land for the great shall be the day of Jezreel. So to your brothers you are my people and to your sisters you have received mercy. God promises that one day the children of Israel will be like the the, the sand of the sea. And whom he will say, you are not my people. They will be called children of the living God. All the children of God will be gathered together under one head. And that one head is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the head of the church. Israel was called to be a light to the nations. But instead of being a light to the nations, they became like the nations. And since they failed, God sent forth a new Israel, a new son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not lie like Israel, but there was no deceit that was found in his mouth. Jesus did not bow his knee to idols, for when he was challenged to worship another god, Jesus Christ said to Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was dead and buried, and God rose him from the dead. Jesus being the the first fruits of the resurrection. And in his resurrection, Jesus would show mercy to sinners and call them his people. For anyone who did receive him, he gave the right to be called children of God. Peter says in chapter 2, of his first epistle, that all who turn from their sins, who repent and trust and receive Jesus Christ as Lord, they have become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that they may proclaim the excellences of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not my people, but now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. You have received mercy through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been purchased through his death and his resurrection from the dead. He is our head. He is our hope. That same promise is quoted by by Paul in Romans 9, 25 and 26, saying that the only way that we can escape the wrath of God is through this promise of God's mercy. But we should never fear because God has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And what we know in part, we will, we will know fully in the future. All history is going towards that day when we will meet the Lord in judgment and in glory. Let me close looking at some, the, the, how this, this plays out. This is a wonderful thing. Go to Hosea chapter 2. Hosea chapter 2. Verse 14. And I want you to see how, how Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 through the end of the chapter is a, is, is a model, a picture of what it's going to be like in heaven. Right? Because God's word spoken to, to the people here in Israel is, is, is also speaking to us. I'll read this quickly, but I want you to be, be focused. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, be, behold, I will allure you. And this is the Lord speaking, and bring you into the wilderness and speak tenderly to, to her. And there I will give to her vineyards and, a, and make the valley of Achor, the sin that happened in Joshua 7, a door of hope. And she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time that she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will be called my husband, and no longer will you be called my Baal. For I will remove the names of Baal from your mouth, and you shall be remembered by my name no more. I will make for them a covenant on the day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the bow, the sword, and the war from the land, and I will make you lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. You shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord. I will answer the heavens, and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain and the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel. I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. Now listen to this. Spend time this afternoon thinking of this. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Beloved, true love is always hopeful. Once you were not my people, he says, but now you are God's people. The Bible is full of these great promises. God spoke so many harsh words to Israel because of their sin. God called out their sins. He, he called out their sins so that they would return to him. Sometimes, as a pastor, it's hard to call out sins. And even as I, when I was writing that second section, that, that the true love is righteous, I'm thinking of you, and I'm thinking, who am I going to turn away? 
Who am I going to turn away from God because I'm being speaking so harshly against sin? But know this. The reason why the harsh language is there is so that you would not stay in your sin. That you'd turn. That you would return to the Lord. In chapter 11, God speaks again through Hosea. I just can't stop going. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. It was I who taught her to walk. I took them by their arms so that they didn't know what I healed them. I led them by with cords of kindness, with bands of love. And I came to them as one who eased the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and fed them. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart recoils within me and my compassion grows warm and tender. Beloved, the Lord will never give up on his people. The Lord will always show his people his love. The New Testament writers talk about how, was quoting this verse, uh, how Jesus came out of Egypt after escaping Herod. As God would call Israel out of Egypt to, to, as an exodus and redemption. God would call his son Jesus out of Egypt to lead an exodus of redemption from sin to his glory. Only God can give victory over death. This is what we hear in, in, in Hosea 13, 14. Hear these words. We're, we're moving towards a close. 13, 14. It says, the Lord says, I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? After quoting this very same passage in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the Lord will ransom all the sinful, filthy, adulterous gomers in the world from the sting of death and the power of sin when they return to the Lord, when they repent and trust in him. The Lord will never give up on you. The Lord will never give up on you. There is no sin too grievous, too heinous, too filthy, too vile that will keep you from the love of God if you repent and trust in him. The Bible says, once you are not my people, but now you're God's people. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray, I pray, God, that you would allow this message to be heard in the right light. That we as your people at Park Baptist Church want to hate our sin. Help us hate our sin. And oh God, help us to believe from the bottom of our hearts that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That our vile and filthy sins, our adulterous lives, bowing down to false gods, have been redeemed from the grave through the resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. God, we thank you that today we can say that we are your people. We have received your mercy. 
So, Father, I pray that you would help us truly understand how vast and how deep the love of God truly is for sinners like us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.